Well, good morning. Uh, this morning, if you have your Bibles, open those up to the book of Genesis. Uh, because of time's sake, we uh, are going to go to the end of the book of Genesis and look at the last big life pictured there, a good bit of that life today, actually, continuing our sermon series called In the Beginning. Um, when we pick up in chapter 45, we will be looking at a man named Joseph. Now, I know some of you have already been listening to Christmas music, uh, but we're not talking about that Joseph. That Joseph will probably be talked about in a few weeks. But uh, today we're talking about Joseph, uh, who will prove to be a forgiving deliverer. And our main text is going to come uh, from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 uh, through 7. And I'm going to read those for you now. Uh, and uh, they will set the stage as the uh, conclusion of an entire journey, a journey that we are going to look at in bits and pieces and sound bites and highlights today. All right? So let's read together and then we'll pray together. This is chapter 45, starting verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. And then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. For the next five years, they'll not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, in the next few moments as we uh, recount a great story of a great life that you were at work in, I pray that you uh, would point us to the great truths that are found there, to the applications that we can take and put directly to our lives today. I pray that we would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, minds to understand. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we see here a scene uh, that is uh, the, the climax, the culmination of a journey that was many years in the making. But uh, the Joseph we see, this forgiving deliverer that we see in chapter 45, is not the Joseph we begin our journey with. For that, uh, we need to look at Genesis 37. And we're going to read there uh, starting in uh, verse 2. Uh, just to give you a setup for that uh, climactic moment. This is like when the TV show shows you the final scene and then they flash back to show you what led up to it. Well, that's how we're kind of approaching Joseph today so that we can look at his story in the time allotted to us. Uh, this is the account of Jacob. This is chapter 37, verse 2. Uh, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers. Keep that in mind. Uh, the sons of Bilhah, the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, he brought, them, uh, he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made, him a, richly, he made a richly ornamented robe for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Uh, what happens here uh, is that Joseph uh, is just one of the boys for a while. Uh, but his father Jacob, who you would think if you know Jacob's life story, would understand that favoritism being shown by parents is not a good thing, uh, begins to show a lot of favoritism towards 
uh, Joseph, most likely because he is the son of Rachel, who Jacob dearly loved. We look at that the last time we were together. Uh, And so he makes for Jacob what we often call the coat of many colors. Literally, the Hebrew says a coat of long sleeves. Now, why is it significant that he makes for Joseph a coat of long sleeves? Well, it's a status symbol. Usually they were reserved uh, for the eldest son, often they were reserved for children who were children of royalty or, or of some important official. Uh, and the reason the sleeves were long was that this status symbol, symbol meant that the son that wore it was exempt from manual labor. Notice at first, Joseph is out working the flocks with the rest of the sons. But now he's got this coat of long sleeves, this, this coat of many colors meaning that he no longer has to go out and work the flocks and work the fields. And by the way, that translates pretty well to us because today, even in modern English, when we say we're going to work hard at something, what do we say we're going to do? We're going to what? Roll up our sleeves, right? Well, that the long sleeves means, hey, I'm not rolling up my sleeves. I'm not doing the manual labor. These hands aren't meant for shepherding. Uh, and so Jacob is now, or Joseph is now exempt from manual labor because of the favoritism of his brother Jacob. But chapter 37 doesn't end there. Uh, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. Why? Well, look at the contents of the dream. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had done. Why? Because Joseph was one of the younger brothers. He wasn't the firstborn. He wasn't set to receive the biggest part of the inheritance. He was going to get a small amount. But look what happens later. He had another dream. This is verse 9. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come, da- come and bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. What, do, what is the first thing that Joseph teaches us in his story as, he's, as he receives this coat of many colors, as he's exempt from manual labor, and then as it's obvious God is doing something in Joseph's life? It's clear that God has some sort of plan because where are these dreams coming from? Obviously, they're coming from God, but where did Joseph give God the credit for those dreams? Did Joseph go to his brothers or to his father and say, you're not going to believe this, I think God may have sent me a dream. You're not going to believe this, but but I think God has some sort of plan that he's trying to to fill me in on. Does, Does Joseph say that? No. How does Joseph say it? Listen to this dream that I had. And by the way, do you know why we have Joseph recounting the dream and Joseph not giving an interpretation, although later Joseph shows a gift for the interpretation of dreams? Do you know why Joseph doesn't put the interpretation forward here? It's because Joseph knows, well, the interpretation's pretty clear. Uh, it looks like someone will be the one in charge one day. I mean, I know I am already have the nice coat. I know I'm already not working, and I, I know I'm already Dad's favorite, but... Uh, Looks like everybody else is going to recognize who's in charge around here after a while. Joseph's initial response to the obvious thing that God is doing in his life is to be proud of it. 
to be, I think we can safely say, a little arrogant about it. Because he obviously is repeating the dream several times. He's obviously talking about it a lot. Because at one point he tells a dream to his brothers. And then it says he repeats it again in front of his father. Just like, oh, hey, dad, in case you hadn't heard. I know they've heard a couple of times that they're going to bow down to me. But guess what, dad? Even you are going to bow down to me. Which, by the way, in ancient Jewish culture would have been a very insulting thing for a son to say to his father. You're going to bow down to me one day, dad. And that's the first thing Joseph teaches us. Don't be prideful. Don't be prideful. Especially we do not need to be prideful about the things that God has done for us. You see, there are a lot of things that happen in life that we can be prideful about that ultimately are for God's glory and are God's blessings to us, but that we often claim as our own and take credit for ourselves. For example, many of us will have a a, a physical talent or a physical blessing Uh, that that we take credit for. Maybe we're a great singer or a great musician. Maybe we're a great athlete and we can just put up touchdowns all night. Um, Maybe we're really good looking. And guys, I know that it's you because I know at some point you've been getting ready to go on a date and you've looked in the mirror and said, you know what? That is a handsome man looking back at me. You've had that moment, right? You know? And we've got all these physical blessings, but to quote God when he speaks to Moses from the burning bush, who gave man his mouth that he should speak? All physical talents, all physical blessings are ultimately gifts from God and they should be used for His glory. Maybe the blessing we've received from God is great financial success. Maybe we've worked hard, we've been successful, we've got the bank account to prove it. And maybe we like having the biggest house in the neighborhood. Maybe we like hosting the Sunday school Christmas party a little too much. Maybe we like it when we pull up at the red light and we see the guy next to us looking at our car and we're thinking, yeah, buddy. Yep, more than you make in a year. Yep, and we've got the license plate, the vanity tag that says NV this, right? I actually saw that one time here on the coast. It was a Porsche, if I remember correctly. So the the guy was not wrong. His heart maybe was wrong, but in, in fact, he was not wrong. And we forget all those material blessings, all those things we have, ultimately, who gave them to us? It was God. Just like God was the one ultimately giving Joseph those dreams. And even though God has given them to us, ultimately our purpose with those things is to use them for His glory. And Christian, God had a plan for you. A plan for you to be saved. But can I ask you something, Christian? Do we approach our salvation as Joseph approached these dreams? And do we sometimes approach our salvation with arrogance? Well, I'm living better than they are. But, I mean, that's obvious. I mean, they're lost, right? I mean, it's shocking that they would live that way because Christians are always shocked that lost people live like lost people. But, you know, at least I'm not living like them. I'm better off. I'm doing better than they are. Or we may even look at other Christians and say, well, I'm living better than him. And we realize something. And we even have a popular phrase for it. But for the grace of God, we would be them. And you see, we get a little bit arrogant about our salvation. Well, I'm elect. Well, I'm spending eternity in a place called heaven. They aren't. But can I tell you something, Christian? Salvation is not cause for pride. Salvation is cause for ultimate humility because we were ultimately dependent upon Christ for our salvation. 
It was Him living the life we chose not to live. It was Him dying the death we deserve to die in our place. It was His resurrection and His intercession before the Father on our behalf that has brought us salvation. It was His Holy Spirit that brought conviction into our lives to show us our need for salvation. Our salvation is completely and wholly dependent upon God and nothing for us to be proud about but ultimately to be humble about and to give God the glory for The first thing Joseph teaches us is when God's doing a work in our lives or has blessed us in some way, we shouldn't be prideful. We should be thankful and humble. But look what happens. In verse 12, Now his brothers had gone to graze his father's flocks near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are gazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So this is not only is Joseph no longer doing the manual labor, Joseph is now the supervisor. Okay? All right, he's OSHA now, right? And so uh, he goes to look for the brothers. They go look near Shechem. They're not in Shechem. They've moved to a place called Dothan. And so he goes over to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. This is over in uh, verse 17, rolling into verse 18. But they saw him in the distance, and before they reached him, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. And then we'll see what comes of his dreams. Uh, and so this is the plan. Uh, but one of the brothers, Reuben, intervenes. He says, hey, 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 hey. You know, let's, we're getting a little carried away. Murder seems a bit much in this instance. I have an idea. Let's skip the killing part and just jump right to the throwing him in the well. Because... I guess that's better than killing him. And so they do carry out this plan to throw him into the well. But look what happens verse 25. As they sat down to eat their meal, because I guess they worked up an appetite, throwing their younger brother in a well. The well was dry, by the way. Joseph's okay. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices and balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers... Well, what will we gain if we, if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And we don't always get context from the Bible. You know, we weren't there to hear the inflection with which somebody said this. I imagine Judah said this kind of sarcastically. You know, well, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him as a slave. I mean, after all, he is our brother. And, and by the way, if this seems like a terrible idea for a brother to have... Flip over to the next chapter, which is chapter 38. Judah has a lot of bad ideas. Okay, If you read chapter 38 later, you'll get that. And so they do. Uh, when the, the Midianite merchants came by, the brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites. Uh, 20 shekels of silver was the going rate for a slave in that time. And so they took him down to Egypt. Now let's skip ahead a little bit. In the story, let's go to verse thirty-nine, chapter one, or verse chapter thirty-nine, verse one. Excuse me. Uh, now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites and had taken him, who had taken him there. Then Joseph was. Then the Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When the master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in. His eyes. Uh, so Joseph uh, is, is, is on a downward trend here. Uh, his brothers throw him in a well, and then, oh, thank goodness, they're getting me out. Oh, wait a minute. 
what are you doing? And he gets sold into slavery and he gets bought by this Egyptian named Potiphar, which would have been a, a very sad thing for a Jewish person to have been sold to an Egyptian even before the Exodus, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, and so uh, he's in this guy Potiphar's house, but look what the Bible notes. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. Now, there's an interesting thing here. Joseph is still a slave, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And yet... While he is still in slavery, the Lord is with him and he prospers. Even though on the outside, Joseph's circumstances look terrible, betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, made to work without pay, and yet the Lord is with him. In fact, let's look at what happens next. Let's look at what happens later. Chapter 6, or verse 6 tells us this. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Remember last week we said that the Bible said Rachel had a, good, had, a, had a nice face and a good body? Well, the Bible says the exact same thing about Joseph. He had a good face and a nice body. Uh, probably because Rachel was his mom. It's probably something he inherited. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, Come to bed with me. That's a lot more crude, by the way, in the Hebrew. If you, if you want to know what the original Hebrew is, come see me. I'll fire up my Strong's Concordance on my phone and show you exactly what she says. But it's, it, it's crude enough to just say, come have sex with me. Verse 8, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Joseph refuses. Why? Well, he sees that it would be a sin against two individuals. One, it would be a sin against Potiphar, his master, who has trusted his whole house to him. Secondly, it would be a sin against God. And by the way, that's a very interesting thing, isn't it? Joseph doesn't want to sin against the man who has enslaved him, Potiphar, but he also doesn't want to sin against the God who gave him these dreams and then suddenly allowed him to be sold into slavery. Joseph has not lost his faithfulness. And look what happens. When she saw that he had left his cloak, this is verse 13, in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to him, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. And when he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. And she kept the cloak beside her until her master came home. And she repeats the whole sordid uh, affair uh, to, to Potiphar. She says, you know, this Hebrew slave of yours, he, he tried to rape me. He tried to assault me. And Joseph's master, well, when the master heard this story, uh, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. This is verse 19. He burned with anger. And so Joseph, uh, Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. This takes us to the second thing that Joseph's life teaches us. Trust God through difficulty. Have you had a bad day this week? I'm going to guess, sold as a slave by your brothers, made to work as a slave in the house of an Egyptian, and then falsely accused of rape and imprisoned for that crime, probably didn't happen to you this week, judging by the fact that you're sitting here. 
And yet, that's what Joseph's life had been like. From favored son to condemned prisoner in the matter of probably a few months or even just a few years. And yet, what did we see through it? We saw Joseph had the Lord with him. We saw Joseph resist temptation. Why? Because even though the Lord had put him in a difficult circumstance, Joseph still would not sin against God or against the man who had enslaved him. And even though he had gone from slave to prisoner, which by the way, there are not many places that are lower than slave on the social ladder, but prisoner is one. So even though Joseph's life had kind of looked like a roller coaster ride where he had been the favored son and then he'd been sold into slavery, but then he was the favorite slave, but then he was falsely accused and sent into prison. Even though his life had been this roller coaster ride of circumstances and things hadn't gone his way and those dreams seemed like so long ago and they weren't ever going to be fulfilled and what is God doing in this? God was still faithful to Joseph. God was still with him. And Joseph was still faithful to God. And by the way, as we walk with God, and we know that He has a plan for us, and we know that He has a will for us, and we know that He is ultimately going to work all things out for our good, very often our circumstances will make it look like God's plan is not coming together. Uh, Maybe we've been working on the marriage with our spouse. Maybe we've been meeting with the counselor, but it doesn't seem like we can get back the love and the trust and we can't make things work the way they used to work. Uh, Maybe we've been struggling like Joseph with with outside troubles. Maybe there's a problem with a coworker. Maybe there's a problem uh, that our business maybe isn't bringing in as much as it used to. Uh, Or maybe it's a physical ailment, an illness. Maybe we've been battling this illness for a long time and it's just chronic and it won't go away. Or maybe worse yet, you've been told that it's terminal this week and you don't know how you're going to handle that. And why would God bring this into my life? Uh, Or maybe... Maybe we're sitting across the church from somebody who we feel like betrayed us. Or maybe we betrayed them and and we've tried to make it right, but they're not interested. And we ride the roller coaster of life with its ups and its downs. And the truth is, just like Joseph, God is with us. If we're Christians, the Lord is with us. I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you flip to Matthew 28, that's still in there. Through all the circumstances. The question is, will we, like Joseph, trust God through the difficulty? But Joseph's difficulties aren't over quite yet. Look what happens. Uh, Joseph uh, is thrown into prison for how long he's there, we do not know. Uh, But eventually what happens... Uh, is that, I'm just going to paraphrase it for time's sake instead of reading it just to, to move us on. Uh, the, the Pharaoh's cupbearer, the guy that brings him his wine, and his baker, the guy that brings him his bread, uh, both get thrown into the prison where Joseph is now sort of the, the warden's assistant. And each of them one night has a dream. And they, come, they tell Joseph, hey, we had these dreams. We don't understand what they mean. And Joseph says, well, I know a thing or two about dreams. Let me hear it. And so they each tell Joseph their dreams. And Joseph says, well... The good news is, I have an answer for you both. Cupbearer, you're going to get your job back. You're getting out of here. Baker, you're getting out of here. You're not going to get your job back. Uh, In fact, you're going to die when you get out of here. Sorry, buddy. Hate that for you. Uh, And sure enough, these predictions come true. Joseph interprets the dreams correctly. But look what happens. I want to read you uh, uh, what will happen uh, when, when they get out. Uh, Joseph says to them, look, 
this is what it means. Just said, the three baskets of three days, and three days Pharaoh will lift your head, and you and he will hang on a tree. That's the uh, the cupbearer. Now the third day uh, for Pharaoh's birthday came, he lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer, the chief baker, and the presence of the officials. He restored the cupbearer at once, and he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. But the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. You see, right before Joseph gives the answer of what these dreams mean, he says to the chief cupbearer and to the baker, Hey, after I tell you what happens, and after it comes true, because I'm pretty sure it will, remember me. Do a, do a brother a favor. Help me out. But the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And look at the verse, first verse of chapter 41. When two full years had passed. How long had Joseph been in the prison till then? We don't know. The Bible just says some years. It could have been years. But from the day he makes this interpretation until the day somebody thinks of him again, it's two years later. And I have to imagine that was pretty hard on Joseph because think about it. The last Joseph saw of the cupbearer, he had said, Hey man, when you get out, remember me. Help me. And then sure enough, three days later, they come get the cupbearer out. Don't you think Joseph spent that first day the cupbearer was out watching the clock? Okay. Any minute now. Any minute now. Let's see. That's all right. I don't know why Joseph would have had a watch in my mind. But, um, okay, any hour now. All right, it's been a few minutes, but hey, the palace is a long walk. It's a long way from the prison to the palace. Remember that quote? It'll be important later. Um, you know, it, it's, you know, any hour now, any time. Okay, any day now, any day, and pretty soon two full years have run off the clock. And that's the third thing Joseph Joseph teaches us, to have patience waiting on God's plan. To have patience waiting on God's plan. Christian, as you're trusting God through the difficulty... As the circumstances keep rolling out and it seems like you've gone from from good to worse to even worse still. Do you have patience to wait on God? See, sometimes the temptations don't go away right away. You see, sometimes the broken relationship takes years, not days or moments, to mend. Sometimes, the addictions are hard to beat. Sometimes, sometimes the cancer, the heart failure, the tragedy, sometimes it wins. But do we have the patience and the endurance that Joseph displayed? That even though he had to languish in that prison for two more years... Knowing that there was hope out there, I have to imagine when Joseph was in the prison without hope was easier when he was in the prison with hope. Do we have patience like Joseph to endure in our prison of circumstance? Because you see, if we're a Christian, don't we ultimately know that whatever the circumstance is, it will end? Either it will end here on this earth or it will end one day when Jesus comes back and wipes every tear from every eye? Yes, it will. But do we have the patience to wait for God's plan? Because God's plan won't be thwarted. Look what happens. 
Again, for time's sake, I'm going to not read all of chapter 41. I'm just going to get you to the good part. Pharaoh has a dream. Uh, long story short, seven, seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, and then the skinny cows eat the fat cows. What do cows look like that eat other cows? I have no idea. This was probably more of a nightmare than a dream. Okay, But this really bothers Pharaoh. And so he asks his priests and his interpreters, Hey, what are you guys thinking? Nobody has an answer. And finally, the cupbearer one day, when, when he is bringing Pharaoh his glass of wine, uh, so Pharaoh was probably pretty happy to see him, uh, he comes and he says, Hey, you know... Dreams. I remember this one time a couple years ago. I met this random Hebrew guy in prison, and he could interpret dreams. Maybe he could help you out. And so they go and they get Joseph. Uh, Joseph says, well, you know, it's not my ability. And by the way, that is the greatest transition that we always miss in uh, this passage. Earlier, Joseph said what? Well, I had a dream. When Pharaoh comes to Joseph and says, I've had a dream and I understand uh, that you can interpret dreams, Joseph says in verse 16, oh, I cannot do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Do you see the difference in Joseph after the pit and after the prison as in, compared to Joseph before the pit and the prison? I had a dream. And I think the interpretation is obvious. And in this chapter, God says, Joseph says, God gave Pharaoh a dream, and the interpretation of it is God's as well. God used the pit, and he used the prison to turn Joseph into the man he needed in chapter 45. And we'll look at that in just a second. So, Pharaoh gives the dream to Joseph. Joseph gives the incorrect interpretation. Look what happens. Pharaoh is just boil over. And so the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. And Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, uh, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You'll be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, Pharaoh says, Joseph, the only person you have to answer to in Egypt is me. And everybody else answers to you. In other words, you're going to be my right-hand man. You're going to sit next to my throne. You're going to have my authority. You're going to have my power. You're in charge. You are Pharaoh and everything except name. And sure enough, there's a famine. And sure enough... Let's flip over to chapter 45 and see who ends up on Joseph's door. The brothers come. Everybody's starving. They're looking for food. And there's a whole scene where, where Joseph says, well, do you have any more brothers? They say, well, we have the youngest one. That's Benjamin, Joseph's full brother through his mother Rachel. And he, and he says, well, you know what? Before I'm going to believe your story and believe you are who you say you are, go back and bring me that brother so that I can see him. He wants to see if they've done anything to Benjamin. Well, they bring Benjamin back. Benjamin's alive and fine. Joseph sets up a, a little bit of a scheme where he's going to enslave Benjamin. And Judah, the same brother who wanted to throw, kill Joseph and then throw him in a well and then sell him into slavery, steps forward and says, no, 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 I'll be the slave. Let him go, showing that the brothers are repentant for what happened. And now look. Back at chapter 25, verse 1. Then Joseph, seeing this act of contrition, seeing that the brothers are sorry for what they've done, seeing that they are, key word, repentant for what they had done, 
Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants and cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Why? Well, the last time they saw Joseph was when they sold him into slavery. Now, I don't know about you, but if I sold someone into slavery and they ended up being a prisoner and they then ended up being essentially being the king, I would be a little bit worried that they would be upset with me. I don't know about you, but I sometimes have a problem letting go of things when I think somebody has wronged me. I know, I know, I know, you're super spiritual. Baptists would never hold a grudge. You're not looking at that person across the room from you right now or sitting right next to you if it was in the car this morning and you're a married couple. But the brothers expect, that's how Joseph's thinking. They expect he's holding a grudge. Look what happens. Let's go back to verse 4. Joseph said to his brothers, who were terrified because they had sinned against him, Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves. By the way, that's how we also know the brothers were repentant, is that Joseph tells us they were distressed over what they had done. They were angry with themselves. They were upset. They regretted what they had done. They repented of it. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. You see, Joseph is able to forgive his brothers when they're repentant, when they're contrite. Why? Because at this moment, Joseph can look back all across his life, the prison, the dreams, the, 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 the being sold into slavery, being thrown into the well, the coat that he had lost, the, the, the dreams he had had way back in chapter 37. He can look at all of it and suddenly he realizes that it was all part of God's plan. This is the last thing that Joseph shows us. It's trust in God's plan. And by the way, it's when Joseph puts his trust in God's plan that he can show forgiveness to his brothers. And do you know what God's plan was? It was the gospel. Now, I know what you're saying. Stephen, hold on a second. You, every time you talk about the gospel, you always say, it's Jesus in my place, Jesus living the life I should have lived in my place. Jesus dying to death, I deserve to die in my place. Jesus risen again, seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for me on the Father's behalf in my place. Uh, when I accept Him, Jesus lives in me and dwells in me and lives in my place. But Stephen, I don't see Jesus anywhere in here. I don't see Him even mentioned, especially not Him in my place. Where does Joseph show us Jesus? Well, the fact of the matter is, everything Joseph had done shows us Jesus. You don't believe me? Just like Joseph, Jesus was a son beloved by his father. Just like Joseph, Jesus was betrayed and sinned against by his own brothers. Uh, just like Joseph, Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. Did you know 30 shekels of silver was actually the price of a slave in Jesus' day? Jesus was sold for the price of a slave. Just like Joseph was falsely accused, Jesus was falsely accused. Just like Joseph was wrongly condemned... For a crime he did not commit, 
Jesus was condemned for sins he did not commit, but we did. Just like Joseph was taken out of the prison and elevated to the right hand of the Pharaoh, so Jesus, greater still, was raised from the grave to sit at the right hand of His heavenly Father. And just like when we approach God, as Joseph's brothers approached Him, terrified because of the sins that they had committed, and we approach God terrified because of the sins we have committed, we can hear our forgiving Deliverer's voice say, Come near to me. And just like Joseph, knowing the fullness of God's plan and that everything done to him, whether good or evil, was ultimately for God's plan to bring about the saving of many lives by a great deliverance. Jesus knew that ultimately God's will was for him to save many lives of those who would come to him in repentance by a great deliverance. You see, in every moment of Joseph's life, what he shows us is Jesus and the gospel. And it's when we accept the gospel, when we accept Jesus in our place, it's in that moment that we can really live like Joseph. It's in that moment that we do learn to be humble when God has done a great thing for us. Because we know everything that we have from our eternal salvation to our physical and financial blessings all come from Him. It's in that moment that we, like Joseph, can resist temptation even in the most difficult of circumstances because it is not I who live but Christ who lives in me in my place. It is, it is then that regardless of our circumstances, we can be faithful to God. Why? Because we look at Jesus even in the face of the cross saying, Father, not my will but yours be done. And it is then in those moments that we can forgive when people sin against us. Why? Because we know that Christ forgave us when we had sinned against Him. It is when we embrace the gospel the way Joseph embraced the gospel that we can live the life Joseph did. Perfect? No. But devoted and faithful to God. And patient in waiting for God to carry out His great plan. The question is, will we, like Joseph, put our trust and faith in the gospel? Let's pray together.